In a world where light in all its various colors can be drafted into solid objects and powerful magic, Brent Weeks weaves the story of the Guile family and their central status during a tumultuous war that threatens to tear asunder kingdoms, religion, politics, culture, and the world itself. We're talking, of course, about the Lightbringer series. Originally planned as a trilogy, Brent Weeks' fantasy epic expanded to five books, beginning with The Black Prism in 2010, spanning nearly a full decade and ending with The Burning White, published in October of last year. Is this series a fantasy must-read that gives its audience an amazing world with a satisfying story from beginning to end? Does it lose its way and wind up in a strangely preachy stance for what started as an intriguing thriller or something in between? Stay tuned and beware of spoilers as we dive into the five books of the Lightbringer series. This is the book report. Tune in next time to hear Larry sing. <laughs> okay, that was not as miserable as I expected it to be, but you did make it worse. You're welcome. How about next time we do these, uh, you write one entirely. <laughs> well, if I would have known I was supposed to, maybe I would have. This is why I said this to you days ago. Mm, I don't remember that. So but I, apparently apparently you think that the way I say things is the way that no. Donald LaFontaine says things. Who the hell is Donald LaFontaine? Donald LaFontaine is the guy who did literally every single um, movie trailer that begins in a world. Oh, yeah. No, I Which really wanted you to do that because I knew you could do my voices. first line. You can do voices, and I wanted you to do a ridiculous he wears over the a top. turtleneck. <laughs> I don't know who this person is. I just wanted it to immediately evoke that and be ridiculous and over the top. You're good at that stuff, but I figured you could rewrite it better, as you know, you know how you talk better. But I wanted to get that you know idea in there that this is how we should do these kind of intros. But obviously, we haven't talked on the phone in a little bit, so. This was all done through text and emails. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, let's just do it. And but it's see okay. How terrible because it is. I trust you. Stop saying you trust me so condescendingly. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. It doesn't sound um, like me. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote, and I think it's actually a shirt from... Um, the uh, How to Get Away with Murder podcast that starts bad gets worse. That's <laughs> what we can promise you. So I feel no, like we should adopt slogan. this as our motto. Yeah. That is definitely our slogan. <laughs> well, right. I. I <laughs> um. I don't know how much we have just added back in of our ranting before we recorded the intro very confusingly and badly. Um, well, we're at welcome. almost 13 minutes on my end, and all we've done is read four lines. <laughs> I'm at like 20 minutes at my end, so we've we've had a blast so far. <laughs> welcome to season two of The Book Report. <laughs> I'm Steven. And I'm Joel. And obviously today we're talking about the Lightbringer series. <laughs> Maybe. It's not off to a <laughs> <Yeah>. strong start. <laughs> we're, we're not totally sure. And I'm now a full glass of wine in, so. <laughs> yeah. 
We know who's bringing up the rear here. Mm, always. Was that a gay joke? It's rude. Well, you're the one <laughs> drinking wine. <laughs> well, I didn't want to start off with anything stronger, but then I remembered that wine is actually really strong. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> okay, well, um, obviously, spoiler warning, uh, we've both read the full series. And what are your just original first thoughts as for the series as a whole? Uh, the series as a whole, I really enjoyed it. Um, slowed down in the middle. Uh, the beginning started off very tropey. Um, I didn't know if I was going to make it through the whole series. But, but I thought that it ended strong. Interesting. Because I have... I have a slightly opposite reaction. Well, I would hope you have a different reaction. No, like almost the exact opposite. Like I, overall, the series, I feel like had problems. Individual books and the story. The story is really good. I enjoyed my time reading it the whole way through. And I loved 90% of the last book. But then the actual ending ending, the finale of the story, fell apart for me. But I'm not the person who... Thinks that I think if you like reading a book or watching a movie or a TV show, even if the ending is absolutely terrible, if you enjoyed your time, it can still be a good series. I would probably agree with that. There are several TV shows that I've watched recently that were phenomenal. Um, they never brought it home in the end. The ending was pretty terrible. Um, and that's what this one felt like to me. It kind of the ending just kind of lost. Every, it just lost so much steam in the last, you know, maybe third of this of this last book. Even though I loved the the last book was probably my favorite book, but like individual parts of it, the book as a whole was kind of a mess for me. Well, but, I am yeah. excited to get into all of the reasons why you feel that way. Okay, um, you can do a quick book description if you want to. I I started reading these books. In 2014, and I just finished them this year because the last one just came out last fall. Right. Um, so I don't remember the chronology, or no, I remember the chronology really well. I don't remember the divisions between the books. Um, yeah, I mean, I had trouble. To, to when me, I was they all kind of blur together. So they do. Okay, well, let's do quick book descriptions real fast, and then I can cut these in before we start talking about it all. Yeah, that's fine. You um, do your okay. book description. If you take too long, I'm going to start making a weird noise. I'm, no, I'm doing them real fast, like a sentence each. Just chime in if you have additions. Okay. So The Black Ready? Prism, obviously, it's the boobs. first book. Did you say boobs? What? The Black Prism is the first book, and it introduces you to all your characters, tells you about you know how magic works. Magic in this world is colors that you can turn into hard objects and other stuff. Um, but it's mostly about Kip, your kind of protagonist getting to the Cremaria and a war breaking out. Um, the Blinding Knife is the second book. It uh, is got a lot of the same themes as the first one, but it's Kip at the Cromeria for the most part. He begins his Blackguard training. He leaves at one point with his father, might be his actual father, it's not clear at this point, um, to go take part in a huge battle at which point um, his father figure gets stabbed and starts to lose all of his magic powers. Um, the next book is uh, The Broken Eye, and it is where Kip is at the Cromeria the entire time. Um, 
His father figure, Dazen, goes to several different prisons, gets blinded by the end of it. Uh, his mother figure uh, saves Dazen. Her name is Karis. Um, Kip does a lot of library research, and you basically get to know the rules of the universe in the third book in like extreme detail. By the end of it, Karis becomes the white, the most powerful non-godlike figure in the land. Um, and then the fourth book is called The Blood Mirror. Um, Kip has left the Cromeria very violently when his grandfather, who has been the protagonist, one of the chief antagonists the whole time, uh, orders or seems to have ordered his murder, but they've made a deal and he had to do an arranged marriage. But he goes off and starts fighting the war with his friends in the Black Guard, now called the Mighty, and he fights like a guerrilla warfare style. Um, meanwhile, the war gets really big deal and everyone's threatened. And then finally, the Burning White, everything happens. Um, uh, Dazen goes to try to kill God. Kip dies for like the third time in the series. His half-brother, who appeared two books ago, uh, goes insane. Uh, one of his best friends becomes a assassin super spy. Um, his grandfather, who's been the bad guy for most of the book, uh, it's revealed through all of his backstory that he had good reasons for all the horrible things he did and is now kind of a good guy. Um, and then Kip becomes a dragon. They save the universe, the world. They kill a bunch of elder gods or fallen angels, depending on how you read into things, and banish the rest of them from being able to come into their world. And then everybody's alive again at the end. And that was a quick and very dirty version of this story. No, I liked it. I was impressed. I was like, that was good. You should write for Wikipedia. <laughs> Just um, every uh, sentence ends with that little blue thing. <laughs> like, need citation. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I love those the most. Because it's like, ooh, someone snuck back the censors. Someone's bullshitting <laughs> over here. <laughs> That's the best part of Wikipedia. It is. Those are good parts. I love people when people use that for utterly obvious statements. Like, water is wet. You need citation. You need citation. <laughs> right. No, that's great. Well, I also like it when you're reading something and you're in Wikipedia and you read something that, like, sounds really accurate. And then it's like, this needs a citation. And suddenly you're like, wait a minute. Is reality real? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wikipedia is fun. Well, I have a list of other like thoughts that we should talk about as a whole before we actually dive into individual books or anything, okay. as I'm sure you've seen on this list we made. But my first and biggest complaint, I think, is that this series has the exact same naming problem as the Dresden Files. The titles of these books do not apply to the books you're reading, like at all. Like, it really bothers me. The first book's called The Black Prism, and we don't even hear that word until the third or fourth book in the series. The second book's called The Blinding Knife, which could have applied to either the first or second book, but again, it's not called The Blinding Knife till way later on. Third book's called The Broken Eye, and I honestly don't have any idea what it applies to. Does Daisy the even get blinded in that book? The Order of the Broken Eye. But, like, you don't even know that they're called that till the next book. Are you sure? I'm almost positive. I'm 100% sure that they show up in that book. They do show up, and I don't, I don't think you know them as the Order of the Broken Eye yet. 
Are you sure that's not where you learn all the mythology the about them? No, you definitely don't know the mythology about them till the last book. There's so much in that last book. No, 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 that's that... not true. That's not true. Because when they're trying to recruit Taya, they go okay, through all how... this stuff. They go through all this then stuff that all that's happened talking in the about how um, – what's his name? Um, Lucidonius was actually like a yeah, bad guy. Yeah. But then that all happens in the Blood Mirror when she's first trying to infiltrate them, infiltrate them. That word Is that in the Blood Mirror? That's not the last book, though. That's second to last. That's the second last, yeah. But then, yeah, the Blood Mirror refers to something that happens in the last book, and the Burning White refers to nothing. <laughs> no one ever calls anything the Burning White in the whole series. No, that's it true. It was just bizarre. Like See, it's, and the I would probably agree with you, that. except I don't mind the second book being called The Blinding Knife because – that's kind of uh, starting to unravel by yeah. the second book. Well, I honestly think that the whole series should have – it was originally planned as a trilogy, as our intro said, and I think it should have stuck to being a trilogy. And I Yeah, think, he got lost in the weeds a couple of yeah, times. I think if you combine the first two and the second two books, it would be a much – and cut out a lot of extraneous stuff. It would be a much tighter trilogy that would be so good. Because you could call the first two books a blinding knife since both those books end with people getting stabbed by the blinding knife. Um, you could call the second two uh, the broken eye if you really wanted to end it with the reveal – with all the reveals about the Order of the Broken Eye. Um, or you could call it the Burning White and just have somebody instead of calling her the – what did they call Karis the whole time? The Steel Iron White? The Iron White. Yeah. You could have called her the Burning White in the book or just called the books the Iron White in the middle two. That would have been a much better title because it was focused on her for the second two parts of the books really. And the final one you should have called the Blood Mirror like because that's when the Blood Mirror appears. That's when it's there. Yeah, it was just weird naming conventions. So in terms of you thinking this should be a trilogy, I, I would probably agree with you. I think unless you're going to do a massive – 12 book series that just requires a gross amount of world building. I don't think you need to go further than three books. If Tolkien right. could write his magnum opus in three books, you can too. Um, right. They, interestingly enough, while I was sitting and thinking about um, this series and thinking about the podcast and how I felt about it all, I was kind of wondering if I wouldn't actually prefer a lot of, trilogies to just be released as one massive book um so I it's behind that well i think it kind of works for how humans consume things because i don't know the last time i've actually picked up a book that um didn't have the trilogy finished you know i normally pick up right. a book that i know is at least close to completion i know the series is done yeah yeah, yeah that way i kind of know that it's been around. The authors put some time into it, and I know that I'm going to actually get my conclusion because I don't want to pick up a book that may never finish. And so I would almost prefer if a lot of these authors would just commit, write out all three books in a series, and then publish them all as a giant work at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And then like I think one of the biggest problems I had with the ending – with like the, the stories ending in the Librarian series was that I felt like the religious aspect of it, and this was a complaint shared by some people online, it, it didn't come out of nowhere, but it felt like it did because of the way the books were set up. But if you cut it back down to being a trilogy and you made it the first two books, you think everything is, it's just, you know, 
traditional fantasy, there's a war going on. The second book you delve into deeper and you see that, no, there's some political intrigue and there's mysterious pasts and there's like other things we're missing. And then the third book you realize, oh, that other thing we're missing is this creation story we didn't fully understand. Like that's a natural progression. Instead, you have four books where none of that is mentioned and the fifth book, it's all thrown at you. And you're just like, wait, why did this become really preachy about this weird thing at the end? I don't think weeks out of nowhere. I don't think weeks did it very well. Um, I'm a sucker for any time you can bring in religion or religious themes into a fantasy book. One of my favorite parts of the Mistborn series was um, that one character who wrestles with his beliefs the whole time. Like I loved that. That was a really well done story arc. When done well, Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I think that weeks could have probably done that if he had set it up. But I I'd agree with you. By the time you get to the last book it's very heavy-handed it really does feel like it comes out of nowhere um i liked it just because i'm a sucker for it but it didn't really make sense with the rest of the series exactly and like that's my thing is the last book standalone if the was is good it works everything in it is internally consistent but then you hear you think about the rest of the books and you're like wait a second no no, it doesn't fit with the first four. <laughs> right. It, it feels fit. it feels like an ancillary story set in the same universe that doesn't Yeah. 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 It doesn't I think the very well. I think the writing, other than the fact that he could not kill his darlings to save his life in the last book, I think yeah. the writing, the structure, everything was stronger in that final book. I think it was my favorite because of that. But I think he just started throwing everything at the wall and saw, seeing what stuck instead of like being consistent with all the books before. And to the point of killing your darlings, I'm not necessarily a devotee of that whole mm-hmm. idea. I don't think you always need to kill off people to make a story effective. Um, I think you can, and it can strengthen a story, but I think sometimes people do it because that's what they're supposed to do. And I think that weakens a story. Um, oh, I didn't mean kill the characters. I meant he killed your darlings in the way that um, Stephen King talks about in his book is you just need to, cut some of your favorite parts out because they don't fit with the story he there was too much extraneous stuff he rambled too much in the last book there were scenes that had no purpose that were just there for fun so i didn't think he rambled too much in the last book i thought he did in the middle quite a bit um okay i thought that like the the broken eye was just a lot of running around in circles not doing a whole lot no one ever went anywhere did anything see i agree that the but like that's that's why i really want the broken eye and the blood mirror combined because there's so much kind of overlapping time i mean there wasn't a lot because i mean kip doesn't leave uh the jaspers until the end of the broken eye but um there was so much like thematically overlapping stuff that you didn't need an entire book of just research you could have, which what's what the broken eye felt like. Literally, yeah. Kip does Kip, who is your he's not your. I mean, he's one of your protagonists, but he's also the he's the one who drives the story forward the whole time. And if he just sits in a library for an entire book, it's going to feel like nothing happens. Yeah, and that's what happened in the broken eye. So if you would have combined that with the book where he does almost all of his coolest actions and becomes a general, being a guerrilla warfare awesome person. Like that would have, it would have just balanced out so much better. Yeah. And I think that Weeks thought he needed the whole Broken Eye book to make some sort of character development for Kip. 
but I I don't think that it needed to be that long. I think you can achieve character development while Kip is doing things that are actually interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, I feel like the Blood Mirror is probably, if I take the series as a whole, the Blood Mirror is my favorite, all my favorite things happen in that book, even though I liked The Burning Light better. But the Blood Mirror, I hated the book while afterwards. I remember, if you listened to our preview episode for this, I remember being like, why the hell was this book framed with his wife's sexual issues? It makes no sense. Right. It, like th- there was a lot of, a lot to question about this book, but everything like all the big moments that happened in that story were awesome. Really cool plot points. I mean, him getting the Kai Bane, you learning what Kai was him, like being an amazing general with the, the bear will caster guy. And like, him walking up to two competing armies and saying, you know what, or not armies, but like two competing groups that have cultural problems and say, hey, guys, we have a bigger issue. Let's go deal with that. Your stuff is done. You're not fighting with each other anymore because <laughs> there's yeah. a bigger threat. Like all of those amazing moments were in that book, but the book as a whole was just weirdly, weirdly framed. It was, and it's one of those things where you wonder if he has someone that he knows who has the issue that he talks about with sexuality or if his publisher just advised him, hey, you need to, like, I don't know, jump in on woke culture or be politically, not politically minded, but, like, basically have some type of social justice issue that you need to... It it was really weird. It didn't feel natural or organic. It just felt yeah. like he was trying to put it in there um, to use his book as a platform, which was uncomfortably done. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't have been – like if it was just part of the book, it wouldn't have been uncomfortable at all. But since it became the bookends framing element, it just made everything seem very strange. <laughs> well, and I don't know. I know you listened to this book in an audio format. Um, in the written format, there is even an afterword. Yes, where yeah, the, the author no, no, that's in like, the audio writes this too. long spiel and he's like, hey, this is a real issue people deal with, blah, 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 blah. And that's fine. So, uh, um, yeah. But it's I, I don't know that that's what you're looking for when you pick up a fantasy novel to read. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess okay. if you want to use your platform to do that and your fans are okay with it, that's fine. Um, I don't know if, if your book is necessarily the place to do that. Yeah. Okay, well, one of my other... Um, now I forgot my even what the complaint I wanted to bring up right then was. No, nope, no, nope, I remembered it. So anachronisms in stories. Is it about the fact that Brent Weeks descriptively describes using olive oil as lube at least twelve times in his series? Um, no, but that is a weird issue. Because I hated um, that. I hated that he sat down and actually thought through what would I use for lube if I lived in medieval times. Yeah. It was very strange. I mean, like it, it was. It would have been like if it was just mentioned once, and it, like the whole the the Tia wearing it around her neck as like a a fuck you to and from her owner. Like that was really well done. That's but then fine. it just kept being just mentioned in other random contexts. It. Yeah, right. it was like okay, can we stop talking about medieval lube? Like this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure people still use olive oil as lube, but guys, All right, why are you talking about this now? There's now lube. There's stuff far. made for this. Nope, Calm nah, down. Nah, I'm just gonna bowl over you. Moving on. No, my issue was the weird anachronisms. 
Um, and it wasn't like that there were, you know, cell phones in the story. It was that there's like quotations from like random people in the real world that yes. were used as quotations in yes, the story. Those were incredibly jarring. Yeah. They threw me so and like I kept thinking because there was the Everdark Gates and there was stuff like that that it kept hinting at, I kept thinking maybe at some point in the series they're gonna reveal that this was like a very far distant future of our world. Yeah. Um, that just got cut off somehow and developed this light magic. But nope, that never happened, which made all of those times where they quoted real quotes like are we supposed to think this is a parallel universe that had like similar things like what like you can you can uh, all the great artists steal and the best ones do it outright um but you did not do it well (laughs) when you stole these things it was very pointed and strange and threw me out of the story immediately every single time i heard a familiar quote yeah Yep, and I think it would probably be fine if you were writing this book for children who aren't that well-read or wouldn't be that familiar with it. Um, but the book deals with too many adult themes for that to be what he was going for. So, And this, I mean, this ties into a point way later on or in my like final thoughts point, but I might as well make it now since we're talking about the quotations. Um, the biblical allusions, the straight-up quoting scripture in the story right. yeah. is what really – really just undercut all of the religious points you wanted to make in the last book. If you invent a religion for a fantasy world, and then you borrow from super heavily from Christianity and then a little bit from Hinduism sometimes, or not, or like Muslim jinn stories. Like I'm not sure exactly what else you borrowed from. Cause yeah. I don't know those many religions, but like, but then you still quote the Bible multiple times. It just, it muddies the water so much that I have no idea what your religion, how it stands out from the scripture you're quoting. Like it just, yeah. it, it messed things up. And I think one of the issues there is that there are a lot of authors in the fantasy genre who have done it incredibly well. Um, because a really common thing for fantasy books to deal with is the um, like, Catholic church structure or even the Protestant Reformation is a really big one because they'll talk a lot about schisms that are happening in the the religious subtext of whatever world they've mm-hmm. built. And it's done really well because they never are explicit about it. But while you're reading the stories, you're just thinking, wow, this feels familiar. I yeah, don't know exactly or, why, yeah. but it feels really familiar. And I don't but think Red Weeks yeah. does that very well. Yeah, it, it, it just muddied it up. Like, uh, is Orhalem supposed to be the Judeo-Christian god? No. What? What? Yeah, it's just it. it Just making it. Yeah, it muddied it. I don't know why I keep trying to more define what I've already done. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I think this horse is dead, but let's rub some mud in it at the same point. (laughs) Let's make it real muddy. (laughs) All right. Um, what were your favorite things in the story? Yeah, so I appreciated that the book started out um, very much like a normal fantasy. Uh, This random, not popular loser kid is going to go and save the world type of story. And then by the end of the story, that that is true, but it's not, I don't know, it's subverted in a couple of different ways. 
Um, he's not the only person who saves the world. He's not necessarily the the hero that we think he's going to be. So I do appreciate that. I thought that was a nice way to go about that. Um, no, that was good. The I mean, I kept predicting, if you heard the previews or any of the read-along sections in the last several episodes, I kept predicting who the Lightbringer was, and the answer was nobody and maybe these five people. Like It was, it yeah. was a very good subversion of that expectation yeah, so of the I, hero. I really liked that. Um, I also absolutely loved the um, training everyone to become a blackguard part of the novels. Okay. And I think that's just a personal preference. I really enjoy any book that goes into making someone into a badass. Um, I think that's why I like Ender's Game so much because the whole book is a training yeah. montage. Yeah. And or so what I just would like, be a I, training I like montage. That. Yeah. If they made it into a movie, but when you get it in text, it's so much more the actual way they learn things and the, yeah, I do like yeah. what, what, no, what can only be, it can only be shown in a movie as a training montage, but the internal dialogue of characters when they're learning something new is some of my favorite parts of books. You're right. It's fantastic. And if it's done well, it's un, um, unparalleled. Um, so that would be my second favorite thing. And then, Maybe my favorite thing in the books, um, hands down, is it, it, it would probably be how the author handles the story of Andros Guile. Like, I love really? that. Yeah. Because wow. it, well, it starts out as That's... like, this guy's a piece of garbage. Um, there's no redeeming qualities of him. And then you get to see that he's just a conniving bastard. And then you get to see that he is motivated by a couple things. Um, one is his wife. One is his just success power. And then you eventually get to see that he's actually motivated by humanity in a weird, twisted way. I just like his storyline a lot. See, that's interesting because that's he's one of my his ending is my least one of my least favorite things. Okay, um, because. Like, it might be the benefit of you reading the first four as they came out and then reading the last one most recently, and I kind of read them all at once. I did not feel his vindication at the end, or sort of vindication, was earned at all. Okay. Even though in the last book it finally explained what he, why he did what he did, I felt like there were four books making him the main bad guy. Him doing terrible things to Kip and Gavin and Karis. Him killing the former White for no, no seemingly good reason. Him trying to kill Karis, who was one of my favorite characters, for again, seemingly no good reason. But in the end, oh, he was all following this prophecy because he really believed in it and was trying to save his wife and the whole world. And it was just like, what argument see- are you making here? No, see, that's actually why I like it. I like that he is the antagonist, and he is a piece of hot garbage for every single But, like, he's still got a good ending. No, 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 no. I really like the fact that Brent Weeks made the bad guy the hero. Like, for the people in the story, he looks like the hero. They make him the light bringer in name Mm -hmm. at the end of the book. So, basically, the bad guy gets to win, and I don't usually like stories like that but i really like that the author was able to make the bad guy win couched in an overall happy ending to a story 
yeah, I thought that was I an felt, interesting twist. I mean, if you put it like that, I can see why you like that. I can understand it. But when it's couched with the juxtaposition of this super religious, holy, um, good guys come out on top story that the rest of the book is set in, it felt so wrong. It left a bad taste in my mouth that this asshole, horrible murderer guy also got a good ending. Just well, like, I mean, A, I, I think I appreciate it because that's how the world works, but also because generally if I'm reading a novel where the bad guy wins, it's like depressing. But most of the ending was happy. It's just also this guy gets good things happening I don't know. I just, I felt like, since you gave every, you gave the whole world this storybook ending. You can't also give the bad. You you have to also give the bad guy a storybook ending where he's thrown in prison or killed. But nope, he gets a he's gets a happy ending too. And it was just like this is bizarre. That <laughs> it left a really bad taste in my mouth. I don't like it. You can either do a storybook ending or you can do a reverse tropes ending. Doing both made me angry. <laughs> no, that's entirely fine. I think you're wrong right. and stupid, but that's fine. Okay, well, I think you're wrong and stupid. You're um, not allowed to because I'm right. <laughs> well, my favorite things, the magic system was one of – from the get-go, or not from the get-go, when I finally got it and it clicked in my head what was going on, it became instantly one of my favorite magic systems I've read about in a fantasy series in a long Interesting. time. I thought you were going to hate the magic system when I recommended this series to you. No, I lo- – like it was so – simple and it was so it was such a it seemed like a hard magic system but it was so softly explained for them once it got later on it did get a little bit more annoying when they started to explain the minutiae of the rules to you i didn't care about that like the idea of it was so much fun and the loose strategy of it was interesting and it left so much to explore and then like any story with interesting magic the more you explore it the less interesting it gets but like it i not that's not true sorry that was a way too broad of a statement sometimes explaining all the rules is really really interesting but this one it started soft and got harder as the series went on as the magic well i think it's one of those things where if you want it to remain magic you need it to have some mystery to it otherwise it becomes science yeah i mean that's fair but I, I really liked it. The only part about the magic system I did not like is the freaking cards. The Magic the mm, Gathering cards yeah. as your exposition driver pissed me off so much. It just felt so dumb and so childish. It no, really they were kind of like a deus ex machina. Anytime you wanted to move the plot along, Brent Weeks would just pull out one of these magic cards that showed you yeah. the future. It was just so... Just okay, just no, move on. Tell me a story. Don't have them freaking literally playing with Magic the Gathering cards. Like, just stop it. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it was. It, I would agree. It was a weird plot twist and, or not plot twist, plot element. And he introduced it halfway through the series. And then mm-hmm. it became, it became as important as things he introduced in book one. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very weird to rest so much stuff on this invention halfway through the series. Yeah. My um we can talk about favorite characters, but I have put her I put two women in my favorite things category. <laughs> um Karis and Tia are two of my okay. favorite things in the whole story. Yeah, go for Karis it. Karis is 
amazing. She is an amazing, fully realized character, one of the coolest, badass women in fantasy that I've read in a very long time. And she has all of the tropes, like all the tropey things that, you know, fantasy women go through, you know, especially powerful fantasy women of the secret um, secret child and the the marriage problems that caused all the wars in the history before the stories. And like, she's just this sex symbol, all of these things. And also you get to see through her eyes for a lot of the story. She becomes the most powerful person in the world when she becomes the white. She's a devout believer the whole time, which if you would have just tied that to her the entire time, you would have made the religious stuff that came out at the end make sense through all the books. But no, you don't really get into that until the end. But she's this devout believer that is still a black guard, the most highly trained warriors in the story. Like, and then in the last book, when it gets into her history of how she was this tiny little frail girl who um, saw this as her last option after the blood wars and stuff happened. After she got like Loki raped. Don't forget that. Yes. After she got raped and um, she still managed to put literally all of her heart into it until she was like worked so hard. She was peeing her muscles down her legs. Um, Like she, she was just this, I don't know. her, Her character arc, her story was amazing. I almost wish the entire books had been framed around her instead of Kip. Like she was such a good character all the way through. Uh, so yeah. first thing, um, just to jog my memory, are the Blackguard black? Because I feel like they were, but then I don't know if it was hit very hard uh, in the later it, books. It began that they were – like when it was first started, they were called that because – do people who they were passed darker, the test right? were black? Yeah, they were all darker skin because they could hide their drafting. But okay. it eventually became anybody could that had enough skill could join it. Okay, okay. But I it started like for some reason yeah. I had all of these characters in my head pictured as being black, and I couldn't remember I mean, if that was accurate or if it was just me being. Yeah. No, I think everybody in the everyone in the story. If you're coming to this from a you know if you're a white reader reading these books. I mean, I often really assume everyone in every story looks like me, unless I'm told yeah, otherwise. Yeah, everyone does, sure. So you should just assume in this story, everyone's much darker than you think they are, because they make that clear early on and then don't stick with it very much. Yeah. But yeah, but I think they say somewhere in there that they were originally called the Black Guard because the only people that could make it were through like the, the training were the darkest skins, yeah, yeah. from those whatever okay. country that, yeah. Period. But then now yeah. they just dress um, in all black. Yeah. So, okay, that was the first thing. The second thing is I think I also would have really enjoyed an entire series built around Karis. She is a fun character. I think, like, towards the end of the series, she kind of becomes a little bit bland. Um, but she was but really like- interesting. She had a really cool story arc, and she was always – in the middle of things, but not necessarily because she wanted to be, which was right. Which, which was kind of cool. a good, always a good character trait. Right. Her, she was also the only one who could stand toe to toe with Andros. Like she was the only one who could do that. Yes. I thought and, that I mean, Brent even Weeks did Kip a good job Gavin, of that yeah. in the last book. She could, she could knock him off his like game every single time they interacted. And I loved that. 
because he's yeah. been presented as this force of nature at all times. And then Karis, little meek Karis, is just like, nah, <laughs> not playing your game. And that's the only time anyone like got the better of him was when they literally refused to play his game. She was awesome. She was pretty cool. I um, Apart from her, if I had to pick a favorite character, it would probably be... Um... Oh, what's his what's his name? The guy who's in charge of the Blackguard for most of the book series? Um, Iron Fist. Iron Fist. Oh, I loved Iron Fist. He was such a cool character. And he had like okay. a really interesting side story and then his ending was just tragic. His ending was amazing. Hey, talk about Iron Fist's story for just a second. I can still hear you, but I have to walk away from my computer and walk the dog out. Alright, so Joel says he has to go walk the dog out, but he's actually going to take a massive dump. Um, it's going to be greasy. It's going to be diarrhea. That's just what he does. I'm telling you, dude has IBS and doesn't like to talk about it, but I just want to take this moment to say, guys, IBS affects a lot more people than you think it does. It affects loved ones, friends. It affects the people that you're dating. And I'm back so to my computer now. They can hear me. Like, if you would like to really support Joel, um, then oh I need God, you to just so understand much. that there are IBS support uh, groups out there. Uh, it's called IBSpatient.org. It is an wait, IBS is patient really support thing? group, um, and it is described as a dependable patient irritable bowel syndrome uh, group, How did you get and they have existed since 1987. Maybe. So. Feel free to donate to them. Um, you don't need to give any money to us to keep this podcast going. We really just want to use this podcast to support Joel's struggle with IBS. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'm back at my computer again after my dog was let out and then broke in and I had to let him back out. I think he's figured out how to open doors. Right. So... I do not have IBS, and I thought <laughs> Stephen was going to talk about Iron Fist, but we're moving on because <laughs> he decided to have a lot of fun. Um, I wish y'all could have heard me talking back to him that whole time. I mostly just gave up halfway through, though. Um, I mean, I appreciated the moment. No, um, Iron <laughs> Fist is actually a really interesting character. He he seems just kind of like your generic Hello? trainer at the beginning of the story, but the more you get his backstory, the more you are interested in him as a person. And I really like how he, he just ends his character arc, like I said earlier. So yeah, he did have a really good character arc. Tia though was my other favorite thing that I wrote down or not really just Tia, the whole assassin storyline, that whole side story, which again, the stories kind of were set up as the first books were about you know just the general war going on, surface value, but you realize there are other players going on. The next two books revealed those other players being the Broken Eye and this assassin um, team that has existed for forever and has special powers that nobody else has and is out to the highest bidder but have their own secret motives. And that whole storyline was just great. And the way she won by the end was so brilliant. And devoting an entire book, basically two whole books, to her sneaking in to this assassin and like getting in with the creepy assassin cult and then taking them all down in a master stroke, that was just a really good story. Like she became very quickly my favorite character because of that. And the fact that she had to become a bad guy to do it 
at time or felt like she'd become a bad guy. Like it was just really, really well done. Tia is a really interesting character. Um, I, I think that hers is also kind of a tragic storyline because for most of the book, she is, she's romantically interested in Kip and that Mm -hmm. clearly is never going to happen. And she does a lot of things just because she cares about Kip. Um, and the only thing I didn't like about Tia's storyline is that Murder Sharp, I hate reading about him. He's so creepy. Oh, he was such a good sub-villain, though. Like, he is he a was fantastic so sub-villain. Like, I think, I think Weeks did a phenomenal job with him because so I hate reading about him. And that means he's a really good villain. I love yes. him. He like, was terrifying, and it was great. Yeah. Gross and scary and Disgusting. weird. Very good. But really good. good. Yeah, because you can tell, like, he's a little bit insane. Um, But everything he – he's, like – he's an insane genius. He's very smart. He's really good at what he does, but he has some some ticks. He's like a Batman villain. Obviously has mental issues, but is terrifying because he's so smart and good with them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I I would agree. Taya is just – she's a really good character. Um, a lot of the side characters that surround Kip are are really good. Like I like his the Mighty group because they've got yeah. some fun dialogue. Yeah. But Tia herself is she's a standalone. She, she is, is. I mean, she literally really stood alone good at holding her own story, in every yeah. situation she gets into. Yeah, she was um, by far by the end of it. Of all the Mighty, she was my favorite by far by the end of the story. And her, I mean, the end where she like she drinks. You think she's going to die a lot of times in the last book. I mean, you think she's going to die all the time because she's in really compromising situations because she's freaking right. spy assassin. But when she drinks the potion to convince everyone else to drink the same poisoned wine or whatever that they're all going to die because of, you and you just know in that moment it's just this tragic moment. And she's had death flags the whole time because she's been interested in the main character, but he married someone else. And... She's been in the most danger of everybody at all time, but keeps coming out of it alive. And all this, like she's just had all these death flags the entire story. And then she goes ahead and drinks this potion as a way to sacrifice herself to get the rest of the broken eye to drink it so that they'll all die. And you're just like, oh, she's done. It's the end of the story. And then she still yes. has those two moments, like in the finale, that she's still a part of the last moment. And I'm just like, ah, oh! like I just love her story. Like, that was really well done. Yeah, she's a neat character. Honestly, I probably – if I could have requested one thing out of this book series, I, I may have requested that Kip and Taya end up together um, instead of Kip and whoever it was. Yeah, what even is his actual wife's name? She you know became, what? I have no idea. She's she she's really – like it's great that Kip ended up marrying like a super hot girl, but she's a wet blanket of a character. Well, I mean she did really great stuff in – the book where she couldn't have sex. Um, but other than that, like she didn't do much the next book. The whole Burning White, she felt like superfluous character. But she yeah. like they tried to make her really important in The Broken Eye, and then kind of he forgot about her in the final book a little bit, it felt like. A little bit, yeah. And that's why I think that Weeks may have just, I don't know, I think he would have been better served by having Kip and Taya not necessarily get married, but just have some type of tension there without the without Kip's yeah. wife also being involved. Cause she just didn't yeah. add a whole lot. She didn't. Yeah. She didn't add very much. Um, so. Okay. 
Well, do you have any other favorite things before we go into some final thoughts? Uh, no, I, well, no, 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 that's not true. I really, um, in the first book, a little bit in the second book, I think, so I said that the first book was very tropey. I really enjoyed the subplot of when uh, Gavin had his brother Dazen imprisoned in those Luxon prisons. I don't think I would have read the rest of that series without that subplot. I thought it was really well done and it just hooked my attention almost immediately. See, I was like, it was interesting for the first book, but as you know, um, and as y'all know, if you've listened to the last several episodes, I called the twist in the first book by the end of it. It felt too convenient. And I was like, is this all in his head? And it was confirmed for me. So that wasn't a like reason to come back. My reason to come back at the end of that one was it was the the history. Like I wanted to know what happened in the in the Blood Wars or the in the False Prisms War, and I was interested in the magic system. That's what kept me going to the next book. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I didn't. I'm not as smart as you, obviously, because I didn't pick up on the the fact that the whole prison thing was in his head. Um, I want so to it, quote that I'm not as smart as you, obviously, and use it wow, <laughs> several <okay>. times. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like that didn't that didn't register with me, and I think it's because I kind of turned a blind eye to it because I thought it was just a really interesting thing, and it it might almost be a critique for me as well. I think I would have appreciated uh, weeks not having that be in Gavin's head and instead fleshing it out. But see, the prisms being actual, like the very end, and this, this was a weird critique, the problem that he didn't dwell on this by the end, but by the very end when he realizes that he actually was trapping elder gods or fallen angels in those prisms, and you don't realize this to like near the end of the last Oh, that was book, weird, and that didn't like, make any sense. That I didn't think that that was a logical um, conclusion to that story arc. Well, yeah, it might not have been a lot. It might not have fit, but if you wanted to make that fit and make that be the real thing, if you would start including that information way earlier, it would have been cooler. But instead, you went with, oh, he was. You were told that you know he's a black drafter, so he has to kill people to steal their magic. Then you were told that's why he was hunting whites. Then you were told no, he wasn't actually hunting whites alone because sometimes he sent other people to hunt whites. He was hunting whites that had been possessed by these angel god things, yeah. and like that weird progression of you think you know something, but nope, I've been lying to you. I'm gonna reveal something else now. It was very strange. Excuse me. It just it felt halted. Like you don't really know what's coming next because I haven't decided what's coming next. It was weird. Right, and I think that it was a really cool idea for weeks to follow um mm-hmm. and i think i don't know i i really do like the idea that gavin spent his whole life actually doing the right thing and hunting down these fallen gods and whatever i just don't think that weeks did a good job of basically making that what the story actually told us i think that he was telling us one thing for most of the story and then at the very last part of it he switched. Yeah, exactly. It was a bait and switch. To make it, wasn't to make it fit twist. His, his ending, basically. Yeah, because the ending didn't fit the rest of the story. The ending fit its book just fine. It didn't fit the books before it. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. No, like I said, the, the ending book felt like an ancillary story set in the same universe. Yeah, or like a 
like a different version of the ending that you would have gotten. Like if the ending, it was, was kind of like Brett Brent Weeks was writing fan fiction about his own books. Yeah, or like if okay, so in a hundred years, in you know, in this world, in the seven centuries, in a hundred years, they're writing the history. If a religious yes. person wrote the history, they would have written the last book. But if a historical, um, you know, secular person was writing the last book, they would have written a completely different last book. And it would have yeah. maybe fit better with the previous four books. It's really interesting that his last book is probably both of our favorites out of the series. And also the um, the one that doesn't fit with the rest of the series very well. Yeah. like, And it wasn't – I mean – Again, like, I'm going to say it, this in my fit, final it thoughts. It followed the storyline well enough. It just yeah. had a lot of, I don't know, extraneous information that didn't follow. It was my favorite because of how many ideas it, you know, let play out. Where the rest of the books, like it would kind of introduce an idea that then never went anywhere because yeah. he wanted it to be a shorter book and he just let himself go in the last book. That's why I really think if he would have just written three long books instead of five medium lengths or four medium lengths and one really long book, it would have served everyone better. Cause yeah. when he just let his ideas run, they turned out really interesting and I wanted to read more, but it didn't necessarily fit. Right. Yeah. So my, my final thoughts when I finished the series were immediately that there were so many unfired Chekhov's guns. There were so many things that were set up that never got a payoff and or were given so much importance that their payoff just didn't fit it at all. And that really annoyed me. Some of them yeah, were so I would yeah. go ahead and talk about a couple of those. Like some of them never needed to be in there in the first place. They would have been fine, but you gave so much importance to it that something should have happened. The biggest one for me, and this was a very personal doesn't fit for everybody else, but Tia's rope spear, that was an entire point of contention in the, the blood mirror, but and then he gave it to her, and she never once used it in the story. He spent an entire book making it. It was a big thing between him and his wife. He ended up giving it to her anyways, and it was this moment of his wife and Tia being okay with each other, and then she never freaking used it. Rope spears are She did so not cool. use it once in the entire last book, and there were so time. many opportunities where she yes! could. Yes, and rope spears are like the coolest weapons ever. The idea of them, even when like they used them in practice at one point in earlier books, the idea of them is so awesome. Watching videos of people using them on YouTube and stuff is so cool, and you never got a scene where someone used it in actual combat in the entire series. It angered me. That really yeah. made me mad. <laughs> I think that's definitely something that he just forgot that he did yeah just that pissed me off so much when i finished yeah. the book and i was like wait she never used it like that could have been a moment where she killed um uh murder like, sharp with yeah, it yeah murder sharp something. would have been like, a good one to use that on just, no just no just wasn't used at all i mean obviously it was actually used and i put that air quotes it was used to be the a symbolic thing of her and um kip's wife okay with each other no, no, that's stupid. That's if you're not in a fantasy you a novel yeah, and you're making no. if you're in a fantasy novel and you're making a fantastic badass weapon, you better yes. damn well use that weapon. Yes. That's what you're 100%, reading. Want. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like we don't want emotional catharsis. That's not no. why we read fantasy. Yeah. Or like if you want it to be emotional catharsis too, like put 
Kip's wife in danger. Have her have to give her the spear and then see Tia's badass use it to save her. Like, right. that accomplishes both goals. Yo. No. No. Yeah. Mm. I agree. Okay. All right, what other Chekhov's guns didn't get fired? The king's plural. They made a big point about one of the prophecies about Lightbringers. He would kill gods and kings. Kip killed gods, several of them over the story, but he only ever killed one king. And Andros never killed a king, period. But he's like, and there was only ever one king that died in the whole series. But somehow kings, plural, that was a big point early on. It but, was. And I thought it was going to be your favorite, Iron Fist, when he named himself king. I yes, thought somebody I was going to kill too. him. And yeah, I was like, oh, that that's a confusing. really good way to do it. No, but they just, it just kind of went nowhere. Well, and then ironically, Iron Fist does end up dying by a member of the the Mighty. And it could have been Kip. It absolutely could have been Kip. Yeah, that could have been Kip. But Iron Fist survives that, and it wasn't Kip that did it. Yes. that's. It was just so weird. It was just very weird. Very weird. And then the other one, the the biggest one for me is because I don't think, I might even, did I listen to the books instead of reading them? But I don't think Gavin's seven goals, which was like a mantra he gave himself in the first two books and a little bit into the third, were ever explicitly stated, ever. And like, like, do you remember them ever being explicitly stated? So I don't remember if they were explicitly stated, but I just looked them up. So I'm going to read them and you can tell me if they were completed or not because you've read them recently. Okay. Okay. Um his seven goals. Number one, to come clean to Karis White Oak. Basically about like the Battle of Sundered Rock and the fact that he's actually Dazen. Okay. So basically tell me whether he came true or not. Yeah, that, that happens. Okay. Uh, number two, to free Garriston once or for all. Okay, that happened, kind of. All right. Number three, to raise and maintain an army loyal to him. That didn't happen, really. Okay. I mean, Number the Blackguard was always super loyal to him, but they're not really an army. Uh, but the Blackguard's purpose is also to kill the Prism if he gets out yeah. of hand. But they were, by the end of the story, they were more loyal to him than anything. Yes, so. yes, they were. I'd agree. Um, Number four, to learn to fly. Mm, I don't think he ever learned to fly, but... No, he did, like, even in the first book, right? I mean, he did it, but he couldn't actually control it very much until... Eh. Until... I'll give it to him. Um, until that immortal and which, by the way, the immortals, where the hell did they come from in the last book? There's just oh, an immortal dude mess. hanging out we'll with get, God. We'll, we'll get back to that yeah. in a minute. Table that um, for a second. But yeah, God um, number, built a plane for him at the no, end. Table that for a second. Number five. To it's undermine the spectrum and be named Promacos. Mm, no, and it's Promarcos is how it was pronounced in the audiobook. And no Yeah, I read it. I didn't listen I know, to it. I'm um, just I mean he was named Promacos. He so. was named that, but only by the Black Art and not, like, actually named Promarchus. Uh, number six, to kill every color white. No, again, no. <laughs> he didn't do that, but every color white was killed by the end, I guess. Oh, this is interesting. So right now I'm on the, um, like, the wiki. Not Wikipedia, but, like, you know how the internet comes up with a little bit, like, wikis? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... So I'm on the Lightbringer wiki, and it says, number seven, and I quote, 
The seventh goal has not been revealed, but has been described by both the dead man and Grinwoody as grandiose, and Dazen even said that it was impossible, the stuff of legends and idiocy. Interesting. Quote. No, that's a cop-out. If you have yeah. seven goals and that's your big thing, you need to tell me all seven of them. See, I never you remember those just stated cop out ever. by saying, all right, I have six of them, and then the seventh is impossible, so I'm not even going to mention it. I, I like, and I felt like that was, it was mentioned so often that it should have been explicitly stated at some point. And yeah. then when he's climbing the tower at the end and he has to take his seven boons and he gets seven wishes and he lists off his seven wishes, they should have tied directly into these seven goals and they might have, but I couldn't remember the seven goals because I don't remember them ever being explicitly stated. So it was just a wasted opportunity. Yeah. It was an unfired checkoff gun. And then finally, who the hell are – this isn't even a Chekhov's gun. This was just a question I had at the end is who the hell are Kip's parents? Okay. Like is Dazen his actual dad? Is Karis his actual mom? Is Andros his actual dad? And his, his mom was the druggy crazy lady? But nope, Andros said he never actually impregnated her and maybe I'll tell you that story at some point. Is he a guile or not? Like, what the hell is going on with his parenthood? It's just so weird by the end of it. You don't know That's anything. True. That is true. Because you begin the book by believing that his mom is a drug, drug addict and his dad is the light – or the – I mean, yeah, you can say light prism, bringer, yeah. or the, the prism. And then, but then and slowly like, it, through the next books, that idea gets subverted several times. Well, it's told to you in the next book. It's told to you explicitly that his dad is actually Gavin who Dazen's pretending to be that Gavin raped this lady. And that's where Kip came from. But then it's told to be like a pretty solid theme for Gavin. The dude had issues, but then it's told in the next book that Gavin, that Andros slept with this lady and that's where he came from. And then it's told, Nope. Like in the last book, Andros said, Nope, I didn't actually sleep with her. And then at some point, Karis had a baby that we all think is Simon, but that becomes unclear by the end. And it's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why was yeah. that made so confusing and never yeah, given any clear answer? there wasn't a good reason for that. It was one of those things that felt like Brent Weeks was writing it to keep your attention, even though he yeah. didn't need to. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would completely agree with you, though. Just and then nice. that's that was my last, my last final thought is I just wrote the endings and it has seven S's in it because there were 17,000 endings. It was worse than the last Lord of the Rings movie. It, there was three epilogues. I'm not kidding. There were three epilogues in the actual text of the book. Like, yeah, stop. Just end your story. <laughs> there was it a just lot. kept you are going. Yeah. And and like and they kept introduce. You don't introduce things in the endings. You don't do it. He, no. he added like they talked about the immortals a couple times in the previous race that looked like cavemen basically and they added one he was just chilling with god at the end for no reason whatsoever in god's plane for absolutely no reason whatsoever he was just there and then there were three weddings at the end of the story and i'm just like i just want this book to end i just want to stop hearing this story because you already concluded it why are you still talking to me it was very strange so those actually were kind of okay with me um the one that pissed me off is the fact that at the end of the actual story, Grinwoody and Andros have their moment, and Andros is like, all right, Grinwoody, 
you were a shitty person. You tried to ruin my life multiple times. You were constantly trying to end everything that I hold dear. But you played the game really well. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to let you go. I loved that ending so much. And then they do a like multiple ending thing you were just talking about where Taya comes in and murders him. And I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't like, I did not need that emotional catharsis because I had it. I thought that the original ending was phenomenal. The original ending, it felt like it's it was I mean, it felt a little um network TVE where we set this up that there could be a spin-off, but it still paid off. Like it, it still hit all the right notes, it worked, and then you're like, yes. actually, nope, now we're gonna have this weird massage, maybe kill Kara scene, and then we're gonna have another scene where Grandwoody gets dead. And it's just like, what is going on? Yeah, I, I thought he was, he was trying to bring um, closure to too many disparate events, and he had already done it. And I don't think he yeah, even realized yeah. he had he had brought closure to it. That's what I mean by when I say kill your darlings is we didn't need we, – we needed like 30% less of the third act. There was just yeah. so much happening. And then That's after true. you got to your conclusion, so much just kept happening. You needed – I don't know. You need to line up all your endings so they all happened at once. That causes the most tension, and then you need a very short epilogue, like very little left over at the end. Not sure. all this extra crap. It just kept going. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, well, that's um, <sighs> that was fun. I think we we covered it. <laughs> I think we did well. I think we did pretty good. I hope. Um, enough people have read these books or you know like listening to us talk that they listen to this and had fun with it and a sidebar to that i think even if you haven't read the lightbringer series and you still for some reason listen to us talk about it i think you should definitely give them a read they are yeah they're worth they, it i mean we've got an hour yeah. and a half of talking out of them they're good books they really are and even though i know we criticized several parts of it um that's just the nature of the beast. You know, there's always stuff in a book that you're going to not enjoy, but these books are absolutely worth, worth spending your time on. Yeah. In my opinion. Anyways, yeah. Joel can speak yeah. well, for himself. Well, it's, they're, they're really, really good. Um, they're really, really fun. I, I want to say good. They're, they're interesting reads that are worth your time. It, it goes on and like you can get invested in the story really easily. Obviously, any story that you get invested in over the course of five books, you're going to have some problems with, um, which don't let us ripping it to shreds <laughs> discount your enjoyment of the story. Uh, it is a good story all the way through, and it's fun. For sure. Yeah. So. Well, thank right. you for tuning in to the first episode of season two. <laughs> well, before anyone goes, I just want to give a quick shout out, and then you can – shoot me we down. We have some if, other segments to, to go on. Okay. One of my favorite book series when I was growing up um was the like Dirk Pitt series by Clive Cussler. And okay. I just wanted to give that one a shout out because he uh just passed away. Just died. Oh. 88 years old, died wow. I believe yeah. yesterday or even it may have been earlier today. Um so with that, I didn't know if you would be interested in talking about him or his books on our next episode. Um, if you don't, that's okay. I just wanted to give a shout out because he was one of those those books. He was one of the authors that I really enjoyed um, when I was in middle school, 
high school. No, um, I do. I do like a lot of his books. I'd have to so. uh, maybe not the next episode because I'd have to brush up some knowledge. I haven't read one of his in a long time. Sure. But we can definitely, or we can have an episode. That's what, what something I was going to talk after we got off the air is what is our next episode expectation? Like, what do we want to do? Yeah, and we can definitely still do that. I just, I just wanted yeah. to give a quick shout out to him because he really helped keep my love of reading alive. Um, and you know, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. Some of his books were a little campy, but I really enjoyed his stuff. And, uh, since he just recently passed, I wanted to at least include him. Okay. Well, that's something I wanted to do anyways, at the end of our new format episodes, especially on ones we don't specifically talk about a series of books or a book, um, is side recommendations, a, if you want to hear better examples of what we talked about this episode, here's some books. Do you have mm. any of those for Lightbringer? If you like a fantasy series that is relatable or made you think of when you're reading Lightbringer series? Okay. Um, I think that uh, Brennan Sanderson's Warbreaker novel does a really good job with color magic. Um, okay. That's a standalone book. I think that Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time does a phenomenal job dealing with the issue of religion. Um, I think Ender's Game does a good job with dealing with uh, training montages, for lack of a better word. Um, and then I think that Joe Abercrombie, his first Blade trilogy, which I have not talked about in any of our podcasts, I think he does yeah. a really, really good job of the... Um, like small knit group of badasses who go and do incredible things, kind of like Kip's might. Okay. Um, I didn't have that many, but I immediately thought of early in the books, the saga of recluse. It's a long series of fantasy novels by Ellie Modestit jr. However, basically each one is standalone because they cover such a long period of time. So at any point you can pick up one of these books. There's not a lot of reason to read them chronologically. But they deal a lot with um, uh, the large-scale wars, and each book, like basically every book in this series has something for you. If you're looking for a romance book, there are romance stories in this. If you're looking for just specifically color magic, there's even a book called The Colors of Chaos. If you're looking for specifically war stories, they're in there, and Arms and Commander, and the Mage Guard. There are, it's a very long series, I've read almost all of them. Um, and each one has a sometimes they cover you know there's one called the order war and then i think the death of chaos i'm not sure but they're like there's a couple that are direct sequels but most of them are standalone just set in this universe he built so any okay. of those are good pickup very nice all um, right and i see you've got a couple of um like news yeah issues i want to put a news segment into all of our episodes this season in case there's any new information about something we've talked about or that we just need to talk about. The biggest one, for me at least, is that the Animorphs um, have graphic novels that are going to be released on October 6th. Um, coming up real soon. They're on sale right now. The cartoonist is a guy named Chris Grine. Um, and I don't know if they're going to release several books at once. I mean, there's 54 books but I know they're at least releasing the first one on October 6th. And then this is big news for both of us and all of our listeners, because you should all read this series. We already did one special episode about yeah, it. Yeah, This is the one that I'm really excited about. Yeah. I'm not, I've never really read the Animorphs. I've actually never read the Animorphs. So this next thing is what I care about. 
The Dresden Files Book 16 Peace Talks has a release date, finally. On July 14th, Peace Talks will be released. In a couple weeks, there's going to be a book trailer. So we're going to get like some hints as to what's going on in it. On March 12th, we'll have a book trailer. So follow us on social media. Uh, Twitter is at book underscore pod. Facebook is at book report podcast. And Instagram is at the book report pod. We'll be tweeting out that um, book trailer because we are both really excited about the next Dresden Files book. Did we do a seri- or did we do an episode on the Dresden yeah, Files? We did a full episode okay, on the Dresden Files. Yeah, that was I one of the first special episodes. Yeah, good deal. If we hadn't, I was going to say we should do one, but I'm glad we've already done it. And finally, this is a tiny reminder that Stephen keeps editing into the not a tiny reminder; it's a big reminder. He keeps editing it badly in our group Google Doc. But it's Super Tuesday tomorrow. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, and if you live in a Super Tuesday state, go vote in the primary. And I keep editing that you should just vote for Michael Bloomberg. But which, that's if um, I hear Michael no, no, Bloomberg's no. So name I, one more time, I, I'm the reason riot. I keep editing it <laughs> is because it doesn't make a difference for me. I do not live in a Super Tuesday state. I live in, in one Tuesday of the state? states that gets to vote even earlier. So my state yeah. votes on Saturday. So right, right. Well, um, I would say sort, add sort one of. more. The Republicans in. canceled their primary, so yeah, exactly. Half because, of the country can vote this weekend. Yeah. But actually, fun fact, sidebar, that has nothing to do with our podcast, but it's educational. Um, South Carolina has an open primary. So mm-hmm. whether you are a Democrat or a Republican, yeah, you can you vote for the Democratic nominee. Yeah. And the Republicans the canceled the their primary and encouraged people to go vote bomb the Democratic primary because they hate democracy. Uh, strong take. Um, uh, but no, I was going to say... An actual news, if you listen to this in Oklahoma, you should go vote because most counties have on their ballot a uh, county measure that would allow the sale of alcohol on Sundays. So go vote for that. I don't know if every county has it. I know (laughs) Oklahoma County has it and a couple others do. And come on, I want liquor stores open on Sundays. Vote for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) Joel's an alcohol pusher, if you didn't know. He was a sorority sister, four years in a row. Kai Gamma yes. Rowe, represent. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening, you guys. Follow us on social media. Tell your friends. Or not. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.